Hi everyone and welcome to Women Who Travel, a podcast from Condé Nast Traveller. I'm Lale Arikoglu and with me, as always, is my co-host Meredith Carey. Hello! And we said it before in an episode about budgeting for trips that we ran in October. Meredith and I aren't champs when it comes to money, miles and points. And so for this episode, which we're very, very excited about, we assembled a real power panel to ask all of our annual questions about getting into the points game. In the studio this week, we're joined by Sarah Silbert, Senior Editor for Credit Cards at The Points Guy, and Lindsay Silberman, a New York-based travel influencer who did that thing we all wish we could do and quit her job to travel the world. Uh, Plus, calling in from Washington State, we've got points expert from One Mile at a Time, Tiffany Funk. We are so excited to berate you all with questions. Lale, do you want to start? Yes. Hi, everyone. (laughs) So as I've said many times on this podcast, I'm really not very good with money. Uh, My parents taught me well and I didn't listen to any of their advice. And I have I have like no points. Um, I'm like basically I'm the like what not to do case study. So I need all of your advice and I can't wait to hear from you guys. So what I actually want to start off with given that I'm such a novice in this field, is how you all got interested in points and credit cards in the first place. Like, was there a turning point where you were like, oh, actually, this is integral to me traveling and traveling well, and this is something that I need to make a commitment to? Does anybody want to start? Sure, I'll start. Uh, For me, it was definitely my job. I was working as a journalist covering technology at Laptop Magazine and then Engadget and going to lots of trade shows, including ones in Asia and in Europe. And so you're doing that travel and you realize, okay, I could be getting something out of it. And I mean, I definitely was not the earliest to the game in the scheme of things. I had a debit card and really only used that until I started working in journalism. But then, you know, I kind of got hip to this and it was like, okay, I can actually, you know, travel for fun as well as traveling for work if I'm using the right card and then, you know, getting reimbursed, et cetera. And so to clarify, you started using a credit card when you got into journalism, not because journalism pays so badly, (laughs) but because it was to maximize your points. To maximize my points, yes. I don't have credit card debt, so yeah, (laughs) fair question. (laughs) And Lindsay, how did you get started? I remember, you know, I've always loved travel. I also came from an editor, travel editor background, and I remember being really intrigued by the idea of points, and I like to travel fancy, and I knew that I probably wouldn't be able to afford a $20,000 business class seat, you know, in cash. So once I started hearing about people doing it by using points, I sort of wanted to get to the bottom of how they were doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was looking to open a new credit card. I did a bunch of research. I found there was a Chase card that had a really big sign-up bonus. I think at the time maybe it was 80,000 points. And I really wanted to go, to my boyfriend at the time, now my husband, and I really wanted to go to uh, Australia. And so we both opened a card. We both got 80,000 points for signing up. And we found round trip. Um, tickets on Qantas to Sydney for 72,000 points. So essentially, we got round trip flights to Sydney for essentially nothing. And after that experience, I was like, wait, this isn't a scam. This is a real <laughs> thing. You know, as long as you're paying off your bills and being smart about the points, this you really can sustain a lifestyle traveling like this. So that was really my first big aha moment. And Tiffany, how did you get into this space? So I think my uh, situation is a little bit different because I have had a lifelong love of aviation and 
so I was into just different situations because of different circumstances, um, into miles and points long before the credit card aspect of it was even a thing. Um, so like I've flown like over 3 million miles at this point in time and I've done a lot of miles and points thing. And in, in that, through that lens, the credit card element of it is really new and sort of fun. Uh, it's much more comfortable to just get a new credit card and get the points than it is to take like six trips to Managua in a week, which is how we used to do it back in the day. So <laughs> it, for me, I guess the credit card element of it became a little bit more efficiency, uh, which we can talk about, but as far as the miles and points go, years and years and years, uh, from really probably kicked in when my husband and I moved across the country from his parents and it became, you can't move an only child across the country from their folks without having a consistent plan to go back and visit. How do you do that when you're, you know, just out of college and have no money? Um, single women weren't even allowed to take out a line of credit, let alone a credit card until the mid 1970s. And from an outsider perspective, the points and miles arena seems so male driven. You work for a brand that's called the points guy. Literally. Um, <laughs> and so I'm curious how you each have made a space for yourself, um, in a part of the travel industry that still feels like it's a lot of guys on forums getting super nerdy about this kind of thing. Tiffany, you just chuckled to yourself. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I think that's true. I, I think the first thing is part of part of it is acknowledging that the landscape is changing because when I was coming up in Miles and Points, I felt like I was literally one of like 10 women who were in Miles and Points. And I don't think that that's an exaggeration. I think it was actually probably 10. Uh, <laughs> because the majority of people who were traveling at that time, and you get into like the early 2000s or late 90s, it was mostly men. And it was male business travelers on domestic flights and like a lot of that consultant and sales space. And we are seeing just more diversity in the demographics of who travels just in our generation. You have like those account executives and you've got reps and you have more like women-owned businesses. And so there's just more women traveling. But I think there was probably a six-year stint where I never sat next to another woman on a plane at all because I liked, you know, there were just no, never women in the first class cabin that I think is changing. And that helps for me personally, I have the benefit of having this amazing accomplice and getting to be like wrap myself in this bubble of support of one mile at a time. So I have a bit more of a platform because of that. And we're so small, you know, it's really just Ben and I and a couple of other people who help us with things. So I, get to amplify my situation a little bit more. I think it's much harder for these other ladies who are competing in a little bit more crowded arenas than that way, for sure. Yeah, I agree with everything Tiffany said. I think it's a very interesting question that gets into issues of privilege and history. Um, but I think, you know, the main point is that everyone loves to travel. That's not a, a gendered interest inherently. And I think, you know, with these sites, it's a great way for people to connect over that. And I do work for the Points Guy, but so many of my colleagues are women and um, we all support each other. It's it's very much a communal thing. That's great. Yeah. And I'll just say, so I my primary platform is Instagram. My secondary is my blog. And I really hadn't started talking about points on either of those platforms until, I don't know, maybe like six months ago. And I think mostly my hesitation was that I 
know that I nerd out over it. And it is sort of a complicated thing to explain in so few words on an Instagram story or a, blo or a single blog post. And then, you know, slowly people started asking me questions about it because I would make reference to the fact that I was using points to fly. And my audience is primarily women, like 25 to 44. And it was insane the amount of feedback I got and questions and engagement. And anytime I would post something or mention something about a, a flight I got on points, I was inundated. So I think what I realized is that there actually was such an appetite for it and like more so in my audience than I imagined. And now it's sort of become this like camaraderie thing where on my Instagram feed and in my direct messages, women are messaging me all the time when they've like snagged an amazing deal or people are telling me about different ways that they've used theirs and I'll repost it and sort of share tips from women um, that I haven't even been aware of or big points wins, it's sort of celebrated together. So that has been a pretty amazing experience for me that's evolved maybe over the past like six months. Have you had- That's uh, awesome. Yeah, that's wonderful. Like I I'm, love that. <laughs> I'm worried I'm gonna like sour this now. Like, <laughs> no, go for what it. What have the male responses been like or have they been To be honest inspired? with you, a lot of the uh, women that follow me are like telling their husbands to now follow me because they're like, you know, hon, we got to get in in on this. Look how Lindsay and her husband are traveling. Let's let's get in on it too. And even just today, someone messaged me and she was like, "I'm my husband has his own card, but I'm opening mine because I really want to take control of my own points and miles." And I was like, "Okay, great. Like that's." I gave her a bunch of recommendations, and I love that. You know, anytime I my my direct messages are open, and anytime anyone has questions, I'm all about it, especially women. You know, Tiffany and Sarah, you guys both work for organizations that puts out a lot of content about how to use, earn, redeem, all of those sorts of things, uh, your points and miles. And I find that there's such a daunting just quantity of information. How do you suggest people weed through everything that's out there? Yeah, for sure. It's hard to know where to jump in, especially if you're newer to this. I always tell people, you know, think about what your travel goals are. Uh, decide where you want to go and then look into what miles can help you get there and then kind of work backwards from that to find out the best credit cards, the best programs that you want to focus on. Yeah, I would say the same thing. I mean, I think that Sarah and I come to that from sort of a similar situation where we both represent sites that are have what feels like a just fire hose of content. And a lot of what's interesting to people who have been around for a while are the more advanced pieces. And, oh, you know, well, what are the best uses of my miles and stuff like that? And I think when you're just starting out, you have to go many steps back. Um, definitely, like, what are my travel goals? But also, I think looking at even necessarily not a specific destination, but more like what you were talking about, Lindsay, like, how do you want to travel? Or, you know, what is it that you want to be able to do and how can your everyday spending sort of help you get there more quickly? You know, starting with a destination is awesome, If but some people might not even be at that point where they have a specific destination yet. They're just like, I've heard that this is amazing. I want amazing. Amazing sounds awesome. <laughs> well, and I think so. it's interesting that you talk about, you know, using your everyday spending because there's this concept of like a free flight. What is your interpretation of like a free flight using points? Because to me, it's not actually free. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously you're not getting it without any spending. So it's not technically free, but it's more of an issue of making your money work for you. So you're getting a return on spending more than you would if you were using a debit card that didn't earn you any points or miles. 
Right. It's sort of, I think of it as you're going to be, whatever money that you're spending per month anyway, you might as well take advantage of the benefits of that by capitalizing on points and miles because you're going to be spending it anyway. So you might as well double dip. And I think that's really critical when you talk about the spending that you're doing anyway and the hidden costs. There's also an opportunity cost to anything you're doing with miles and points. If you aren't going to do even just that little bit of research like Sarah is suggesting to figure out you know, what's the best option for my destination or for the things that I want to do, most people are probably better off using a 2% cash back card and sort of moving on with their day rather than getting into the really deep, deep, deep world of complicated miles and points. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to know your limitations, know how much you're willing to invest in time and energy to learn the ins and outs of these programs. And if you just really decide it's not not for you, you don't want to jump through all those hoops, that's perfectly respectable and make your choice based on that. Okay, so I figured out my travel goals. Um, what is your travel oh. goal, Lale? Well, my, yeah, let's do it as a case my, study. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I want to do a case study. All right, so my travel goal this year is I really want to go to Vietnam. And right now I can't afford that long haul flight. And I also have to factor in the fact that I want to go home to London for Christmas. So I need to consider that. And also that I'm going to be flying across the US a couple of times to go to weddings. What should I be prioritizing in terms of the type of card I want to get, the types of airlines I fly with? Should I stick with one airline? You know, should I be looking for an airline that leaves a specific airport and always go out of that airport? Kind of what are the things I should be thinking about as I'm planning my travel now? That's a lot of that's a lot of flights. <laughs> I, 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 I guess I guess I'm at that age where everyone's getting married. Yeah, I guess you know my first my first recommendation is sort of think about the the cost of all of those flights. Like, which is going to be the big ticket item? I would assume the Vietnam flight and probably the London at Christmas flight. Those flights within the country. I would recommend paying, you know, I wouldn't use points on those. Um, but what I will say is that maybe start looking up routes that uh, you, that fly to Vietnam. And then if, let's say, it's Cathay Pacific through Hong Kong or um, different airlines that fly a route that you want and start looking at how many points it would cost you to get that flight and sort of work backwards from there. Well, okay, so I would actually back up one step further, but I think Lindsay is exactly right that um, you need to look at the cost of the flights and also your time investment you're spending. So I would say you need to back up a little bit further and I'm not to not to be harsh, but only because you said you were bad at money. But you're gonna crush uh, all my dreams to the end. <laughs> no, I mean I mean this with love, but I think it's a really important thing for people to think about. Um, if you're not paying your balance off every month, credit card rewards are not for you because these cards have such high interest rates for the most part. Sometimes there's some zero percent promotional offers and things like that. But the interest you'd be paying on these cards compared to other cards just negates any value of rewards you'd be getting. And you'll spend so much more in the long haul. So that'd be my first thing. And then think about like how much you're spending in a month and or think about where you could be flexible. Because like Lindsay's saying, yeah, you can get some credit cards that could really accelerate the points that you'd be getting. But can you spend $3,000 in three months? You guys all live in New York, so I'm sure that you can. That'd be harder in Washington State. But um you know, and sort of think about that because that will also influence what cards you get. And then you might be surprised by how inexpensive flights to Asia are. That flight to London is probably, I think, might be your most expensive because sometimes those Vietnam flights, especially although Vietnam is trendy right now, tickets are not expensive comparatively necessarily. <laughs> 
I think something that we've talked about a lot um, just within the, within the office is how not airline loyal like millennials are. And I think a lot of times people are looking to travel more so they go with the least expensive flight rather than the one that might work for their favor in the future. And the question I have is I am one of those people and so I have small bundles of miles with like a million airlines is there like a number I should be shooting for to hit with one airline? And how do I even know how much all of those miles are worth? Where do I start? Yeah, those are a lot of good questions. I <laughs> so think, many questions. Yeah, I think it is hard unless you're traveling, you know, a consultant going on the same route on the same airline on a very consistent basis. It's very hard to rack up a significant number of miles with one airline program, which is why I often suggest that beginners look at a card that earns transferable points like Chase points or Amex points because then you have all those travel partners and all those options. So then, you know, it could be easier through your everyday spending through earning the sign-up bonus to accumulate a large number of those points, which become then delta miles, for example. As for the value of a pointer mile, that varies a ton. And, you know, we're seeing quite often airlines, you know, make changes to how they price awards. United just pulled its award chart. So it, that kind of throws things um, off, off balance and definitely devalues them a little bit. Uh, but we publish valuations at the points guy, um, rating things in terms of cents per mile or per point to give you kind of like something to shoot for in terms of what you should be getting value-wise. Out of interest, are there airlines that give you more bang for your buck with miles than other ones? Um, or is it all kind of an even playing field? I think Delta has been, I don't know if you've seen, if you, you guys have had this in your experience lately, but Delta is a killing me with the number of, I mean, I was looking to go to Europe this summer and I was just comparing, you know, every single airline under the sun to see what they would, you know, charge me for that exact flight, which was, I think, New York to Athens to Mykonos. And I think I found it on United for maybe 80,000 or 75,000 and Delta had that same exact flight for 250,000. So... Yeah, that's just for me, that's a I think that's a concrete example of a difference. Yeah, I will say, though, that's actually a perfect segue to what I think is really important to understand. Uh, Meredith, you were saying you have points in a million places. And I think people shouldn't necessarily be loyal to an airline. But having points in maybe five or six places is great. So all of these airlines have alliances and partnerships. And we have a really we've got a Ben did a nice video on this. That you guys can find um, on the site or on YouTube. Because um, like taking the example of like Lindsay saying, hey, she found a great United flight. That makes sense because United has 34 partner airlines and probably 60% of them fly to Europe. So they have way more partners and they actually have, par you know, they're partners with Aegean who actually serves those little airports in Greece. Delta doesn't. They have other partners. If you were looking at a flight to Nice, Delta might have had a better option because they partner with Air France. So you can, with a little bit of research and looking at, you know, some of these blogs, find the airlines or the alliances that have a really good value for miles. And there's different ways to determine that you can go off of the valuations that other sites are doing, or there's some ways to figure it out on your own. And then you know, sort of look at like, okay, I know I want to go to Europe. United has a really good value for awards to Europe, but their Star Alliance partner Aeroplan actually has a much better 
option. So when you're flying United, because you might want to fly United, you live more conveniently to Newark and that just works better for your life. You could credit the miles to Air Canada and then you could transfer miles. um, Like Sarah was saying, you could transfer the miles from American Express. You could transfer them to Air Canada. So then you're getting miles in one place, even if you're flying 10 different airlines. I think one thing I'll just point out because... I feel like we all talk about it so casually because it's so second nature to us, but I've been posting about this a lot on Instagram recently, and I was inundated with messages from people saying, what do you mean transfer your points? So I would just say one thing for beginners to know is that um, with cards like Amex and Chase, which we've talked about a lot, you can take the points that you've accumulated from those cards and transfer them to an airline. It sounds so basic to a lot of us who are a little bit savvier in the points game, but essentially all that you do is you log on to your Chase or your Amex account, you go to like membership rewards, transfer to an airline partner. It'll have the full list of every single par- uh, airline partner that um, the credit card you know can be transferred to. And when you're ready to book your flight, you go in, transfer the exact number of miles you need and refresh the browser you know with your airline and th- they usually are there. It depends, some take longer than others, but I just wanted to point point that out because I think we are so used to it, but a lot of people don't even realize that you can transfer them out. Yeah, I think that's a great point because it's so second nature to us, but it can seem so theoretical and kind of just like magical until you actually do it yourself. And they don't necessarily make it easy for you to do it. You have to really poke around, but it's easy enough if you just search how to transfer uh, chase points to Hyatt. You can just see, like you can pull up a guide and we'll show you screenshot by screenshot. It's not it's not hard, but yeah, I think it's really important to take that step back. Yeah, and I think exactly like you said with Googling, like you Google the most basic term. I, everything I know, I literally learned from One Mile at a Time and, and the Points Guy by Googling the questions that I had. And you guys have, you know, strong SEO, so your results are always, <laughs> are always first. And legitimately the answer to every single nuanced question, you can find it on either one of those sites. So that's what I'd recommend if you're overwhelmed or you can't remember how to do it. And I will add that this is a mistake that I learned from last year, which is that those miles that you've clocked up won't necessarily be recognized by a partner airline forever. I had done a couple of long haul flights to and from Asia on Air France and then left it a couple of months before trying to transfer them over to Delta and then Delta wouldn't recognize them anymore. So I love Oh, so that's, yeah, that's one thing. Miles do expire, but more importantly, once the miles are deposited in your airline account, you can't then transfer them to another airline. And this is something that people really get tripped up by. They're like, if, if ahead of time, if you said, hey, Air France, at the ticket counter, I'm going to fly Air France, but I want the miles to go into my Delta account, put that on my boarding pass, they would. But once they're in the Air France account, they won't move them for you, which is, I guess it makes sense from a revenue management perspective, but it's really frustrating for people. <laughs> yeah, It was incredibly inconvenient. Um, fully was sitting next to Lolly when she discovered that they had yeah, all disappeared I and there was full know. rage. <laughs> Yeah, that's the worst feeling when your miles expire. I have had it happen. I had several hundred thousand IHG points expire. um, And it was horrible. I was really mad. And it was, of course, like the day before. Always, right? These things (laughs) always happen. You go to the next day and you're like, what do you mean? What do you mean there's no grace period? Okay. 
And you, yeah, and you know, want to like call someone up and yell at them, and then you're like, "There's no one to yell at. This is my fault." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm curious because I got an email from American saying that my miles were going to expire if I didn't touch them, which didn't mean that I had to spend them, but I had to do something with them. Um, so I used like 160 miles um, out of my like thousands of miles to like order a magazine, which counted as like using them. Uh, but I'm that curious. Print I know <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One magazine at a <laughs> I was wondering if you guys had any other suggestions for things that you could do if your miles were expiring and you didn't necessarily have to spend them all because my dad, who is a super user, um, was saying like, oh, don't use them to buy a magazine. Like, that's a waste. And I was like, well, I have to do something and I'm not booking a flight right now. Do you guys have any other suggestions? <laughs> there are. Um, I think one of the big things that people don't do that could, and this is an easy thing for, I think, anyone to do, especially if you're not flying, because flying isn't necessarily a great way to earn miles anyway. Most of these airlines have shopping portals. And there's so many ways, like you have to have activity in your account every you know, 18 months or 24 months or whatever it is. And the shopping portals are so great, especially for American. It's a great one. They often that. have promotions. And so you could have rather than using miles to buy a magazine, you could have maybe bought a magazine and gotten 30 miles per dollar huh. for the purchase. You know, and like, I don't know how much your magazine is, if it's going to be like a $6 subscription, like that's great. You obviously don't want to use the shopping portals to buy things that you wouldn't otherwise buy. But most, you know, big box name brand things are in these shopping portals. Like, Target and Lowe's and, you know, I guess New Yorkers have fewer things that they need to go to the hardware Sephora. store. From, but I feel like I, yeah, right, <laughs> Sephora is awesome. And, you know, Nordstrom and Bloomingdale's and all those types of things are all in these shopping portals. And even if you're only getting one mile per dollar, that's better than the zero miles per dollar that you would be getting. And these are all in addition to whatever points or miles your credit card is going to give you. And if you're not dead set on using a specific one, there are a few sites that aggregate all the different portals. Ooh, um, cashbackmonitor.com is the one that I usually use. There's also evreward.com. So yeah, I usually visit those if I have a specific retailer in mind and just want to see what the best rate is. Sometimes it's United, sometimes it's Chase. Yeah, you just kind of shop around. I'm curious, so next time I'll know better to use the shopping portal, but are there mistakes that most people are making that they don't even realize that they're making? Like what would be like the biggest mistake that you guys see that you're like, oh my gosh, you don't even realize what you could be doing? Not putting your frequent flyer number into flights <laughs> on your sign. I mean, pains me. So I feel like I know people who travel all the time for work and they're like, oh, you know, I never even bothered to put in the number and I was like please don't tell me things like that <laughs> sometimes I do it and then I'm like oh yeah I forgot to do that again <laughs> that's so sad it's really sad it's just you know I'm a mess well you can go back you can do it after the fact I think yes. it's like six months yes. or something but right. as long as you've that. signed up so the people who don't even sign up because they've decided it's too complicated and they're right in ways it is complicated but there's such outsized rewards that it really makes sense what do you think is the biggest misconception that puts people off trying to do it in the first place? You know, I think for a long time I thought that clocking up air miles was reserved for business travelers and people of a certain income who could afford to uh, not travel coach and who could afford to do all these long haul flights um, and kind of like the average person probably could, it was an inaccessible for the average person. Kind of what are people getting wrong? Well, I think to Tiffany's point, um, 
earning miles through flying isn't even the best option these days because really most of the airline programs are rewarding those who spend the most. So you're really going to have to spend a ton. So yes, you're right. Um, it's really business travelers who are going to rack up miles through actual flying. So that's where the credit cards piece comes in. And that's why earning sign-up bonuses and earning like these lump sums of points and miles can really jumpstart your ability to book an award. And it doesn't have to be like major spending, right? It's your day-to-day spending. It's Yeah, and adds up. And also there are cards that will give you four times the number of points on travel on, or three times the number of points on dining, hotel stays. So those, they do add up. I mean, it, sometimes you have to be patient and it takes a while, but with time and if you're savvy about it, um, it's possible. I just think about putting my rent on my credit card and like how much uh, that would just like build up. God, that makes me feel so terrified. (laughs) Oh God, that seems very irresponsible. No, but like if you have the money to pay it off, like then. Yeah, I know a lot of people who do that. I'm kind of jealous that I my not able to do that through my um, right, management yeah. company. But if I did, you better believe I'd be putting that rent on every month. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, living in New York, I used to have to put a cashier's check in the Chinese restaurant next door where my landlord would collect it. So New York. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I just put my taxes on my credit card, so. Oh, yeah, I did, that. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> I did too. So, and, and Meredith, I want to talk about that a bit, but just I think knowledge here, other point about what is this about you making this more ex- accessible to people? I'm really passionate that everyone can travel better. And what better means is different for every single person. And so like you were talking about, you want to go to a couple of weddings, or you just want to have the option to go home and see your family at Christmas and have it not cost you a fortune. You don't necessarily have to look at some of the ways that like Ben and Brian are using their miles and points and think like, oh my gosh, I would never have enough miles for this ridiculous fight with the shower on this plane. Although you could, it's more, it's more accessible than you think, but there is something to be said. And just like Lindsay saying, get that card that's giving you 4% back on the dining you're already doing. Worst case scenario, you can designate that money as your travel money. And you're already coming out ahead just by sort of reframing how you think about it. And I think that that can be really powerful. And then definitely, uh, Meredith, the paying your rent on your credit card is awesome unless they charge a fee. If they charge a fee for doing that, then you want to make sure, and this gets into the big mistake that I think most people make, which is not having a clear picture of what their points will buy them. And so overspending or overvaluing them. It doesn't make sense to pay like a 3% fee to your apartment company if they're going to charge a fee to use your credit card if those miles are only worth like 1.7 cents. So you really want to figure that out before you make those kind of investments into points. And you can find all that information by Googling like how much are my points worth and show like showing up on both of your sites. Yeah, TPG yeah. like values them all the time. Um, we update ours and then we also have like the formula of like here's how we value them and here's how you can figure out your own math. So you don't have to trust us <laughs> because I think it matters. Like everybody places a different value on these things. And I think that's sort of important. You know, you don't want to be like, well, my mom is, a, I love her, but a great example, she puts everything on her Amex card and it's not even a card that is great for everyday spending, but we all, this is just, this is what she feels works for her. And that's fine. Except then she goes to redeem those points and she's getting like maybe not even half a cent in value because she'll redeem them for like first class between Phoenix and Orlando and spend 50,000 points <laughs> when that ticket would only cost like $250. So like it just, there's just this mm-hmm. complete disconnect between the cost of putting things on a credit card and the opportunity cost compared to what she could be doing otherwise. And that's before you even get into the redeeming miles. You know, she's just not even earning them in a way that makes sense. And so 
to that point of you know different cards offering different fees um, and working for different people are there certain credit cards out there that you think work for the majority of travelers or travel styles are there some that have like the best perks and the lowest fees like which are the ones that you guys are sort of excited about right now because i will say the question that comes up all the time like in our facebook group and i have friends ask me this like is the chase sapphire reserve card actually really worth it for everyone i think if you travel a few times a year at least it can definitely be worth it if you're spending a lot on dining and travel you get three points per dollar on that spending, and you get that $300 credit that applies automatically to pretty much any travel purchase. That's awesome, and I think, you know, if you're looking to travel and you're interested in points and miles, it probably would make sense for you, but not everyone. I I totally agree with that. I would say a lot of people are intimidated by the $450 annual fee, which does sound like a lot of money, but when you actually go through and break down the benefits of the card, you, recoup that fee in the first time you take a flight, essentially. Um, first time you take a flight and go to a lounge. So, I But I do think that if that card is intimidating to people, um, the Chase Sapphire Preferred, which is a lower annual fee, it's sort of like, I like to call that the best card for beginners. Um, and I feel like a lot of you guys probably consider it the same. That would be mm -hmm. my recommendation. Yeah, and you can get right now, you get more points right now for the Sapphire Preferred than the Sapphire Reserve. Yeah. And while you do get the quick wins with the reserve of the travel credit and the lounge access and the premium perks, you know, with the Sapphire Preferred, you're still getting the same points. They're worth roughly the same depending on how you're redeeming them. If you're transferring them to partners, they're worth the same. And you're getting, you know, the 60,000 points and you can always upgrade to the reserve later. So if somebody who's intimidated by that high annual fee, I also like the Capital One Venture card right now. I'm curious which, about that one. I feel like everyone's talking about it. I don't have it, but I, I really would love to know your thoughts on it. Well, I think the biggest thing for me is Capital One has been previously great at it being a card for people who didn't want to care about miles and points. You just, you got two times Capital One points for every purchase you made. You redeemed each of those points for a penny each, just erasing your purchases on your statement. Like it was so easy. So it was great for the people who just didn't want to care about the airline programs. And then in December, they added this option where you can transfer miles to like 14 different airlines. So now it's competitive. Like they're playing with these other cards, but you still have that safety net option of, okay, I think I want to get into miles and points, but if it ends up being, I don't, it's still a good card that you could be using and decently rewarding. You know, it's not, it doesn't earn as fast as other cards because it just earns 2x on everything which is really 1.5x when you transfer it to an airline. <laughs> so there's more rewarding cards if you want to get more advanced. But, you know, you you get some benefits with that card that you wouldn't generally get with a annual fee at that price point. So you'd get like the TSA pre-check and things like that, which is, can be nice, you know, if you're getting started. Okay, so the question I think that me and Meredith are like most desperate to ask the three of you, which is um, what has been your biggest points win? I have a good one. I, I, I'll be honest with you, I can't remember the exact number of points, but my husband and I got married and we got married at a hotel um, and it was a resort. And I, at the time, Chase Sapphire Reserve was doing a big sign-up bonus and I found out that Chase Sapphire Reserve um, for hotels and, and travel, you get, what is it, three, three times? times? Three times. Um, so my husband and I both opened a card. We both got 100,000 points just for signing up, which was the offer at the time. And then because our wedding was at a resort, we were able to put 
a lot of the cost of the wedding on the card and we each got three times the points for those. So by the time the wedding was over, we were able to fly round trip um, for three weeks of travel in first class um, by basically just using our points. And I would say if you're getting married at a hotel or resort, be very mindful of how you're paying for the, you know, paying the bills, you know, be smart about not spending more than you have. But that was like an amazing little trick that um, ended up being a big game changer for us. And where did you guys go on your honeymoon? We went to Hong Kong, Thailand, Sri Lanka, and the Maldives. And the whole thing was first for business. Like all the dream. <laughs> it was it was it was a very pinch me experience. But we you know, it's totally possible and I tell my followers this all the time that, you know, you can to- you can do things like that if you're responsible and strategic and we spent a lot of time on the points guy and one mile at a time like figuring out the best ways to use the point. So I'm really jealous that you got in on the 100,000 point chase after reserve. Yeah. That was I think I don't know if they'll ever bring it back, but Doubt it. Those were the glory days. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Yeah, I did get the hundred thousand Amex Platinum um, welcome bonus, so wow. that that was my personal win. I'm personally such a points hoarder, so I really have to rack my brain for a recent points win. I'm mine is kind of embarrassing, um, but when you think about the actual value, you know it's good. I used um, hundred and twenty-five thousand Chase points transferred to Hyatt for an all-inclusive in Cancun. And that's you know, not embarrassing. Again, sounds amazing. Awesome. Yeah. 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 Way to spend your time. <laughs> yeah. How many nights? Uh, five. Oh so, my god! That's and, and when you think about, you're getting food and drink for free. That's why I think you know it is especially. Yeah. I mean, if you're not a snob, because it's not like a park Hyatt. Let's be honest. Yeah. But it was very fun. My boyfriend and I had a great time. We. I think the only money I spent during those five days was twenty dollars for a bottle of wine. And at this point, we're not talking about free flights. We're talking about free vacations. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's a whole other pay field. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Tiffany, what would you say your win would be? Okay, so this is actually really a really challenging question for me. And I know it shouldn't be because I do this all the time and all day. But I'm trying to think of there's so many things that I used to do that are not currently applicable. So I don't want to be that person who's like, here's this thing that I did that you can't do. Ha ha. Um, but one thing that I did that I think a lot of people could probably relate to is, um, my cousin and I just took our moms to Vietnam. Actually, just, we got back three weeks ago and we took our moms to Vietnam for three weeks. It's something that we've always wanted to do. And we didn't use miles to get there because there were really spectacularly cheap flights. It was actually a mistake fare. They were $600 in business class from Los Angeles to Vietnam. What? Yeah. (laughs) And we earned miles. Yeah, that was so so we bought we bought I bought those because obviously that's a much better price than using miles. But we used miles all throughout for tickets um, in between like Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia. And sometimes we paid cash and I would just, you know, er erase it with my, you know, cards that do that. But we stayed at hotels, beautiful hotels, you know, Park Hyatt and all kinds of things. And I it's just insane. I don't have a like, oh, and you should do this because here's the exact roadmap for it. But it's just an example. Like I think that we talked about it a lot. Most daughters as adults don't really get the opportunity to take like this grand international trip very often. And it's actually something that we do every couple of years because of miles and points. Because it allows me to stretch my travel budget so much that we're able to take these really grand, extravagant once in a lifetime trips with frequency. That's really sweet. 
And also, this whole conversation is making me think how once-in-a-lifetime trips really don't have to be once-in-a-lifetime. There you go. Well, that feels like a really positive note to end things on. It (laughs) does. If people want to keep up with your work, I'm just going to go around. But where can they find you on the internet, Sarah? Yeah, I'm Sarah Silbert, Sarah with an H on Instagram and Twitter. Amazing. And Lindsay? I'm at Lindsay Silb, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-S-I-L-B as in boy on Instagram. And my blog is lindsaysilberman.com. And Tiffany? I am at T-E-B Funk on Instagram, or you can find me on onemileatatime.com. I'm at Oh Hey There Mayor. And I'm at Lale Hannah. We'll talk to you next week. 